All right, welcome into another episode of the Loud Outs Podcast with CJ and Spilly. It's been a little while. We had a busy week here, a lot of traveling uh, going on. I had a pretty busy weekend. It was a fun weekend watching the Texas Rangers sweep the Seattle Mariners. They're playing some really good baseball. Their offense, my goodness, they just keep going and going. They're putting up some monster, monster numbers right now. It's been kind of incredible. And I didn't intend to start there, Spilly, but I'll at least throw this out at you. And I, I had to really be very careful about how I worded this over the weekend because I didn't want to make anybody upset. But it's pretty incredible that the Rangers are playing the level of baseball that they're playing right now, both offensively and what they're getting as their starting staff. And there's been no Jacob DeGrom, and it's almost like you don't even notice. Isn't that crazy? How is that, how is that possible? I don't know. You tell me. I mean, pitching staff, <laughs> Nathan Evaldi has gone to a different level that that I, I don't think I've seen before. Uh, offensively, you guys are a, you guys are a buzzsaw. What is that? I mean, top to bottom, I thought, some of the lineups that I've seen in, in baseball this season um, that I feel are long, you know, you get those, mm. those tough at bats one after another. Uh, the one that I saw where I was like, okay, that's pretty good. Was Atlanta. Um, I liked Baltimore's lineup. It feels long with their, their ability to walk. Uh, the, the Dodgers lineup is long. I haven't seen Tampa up close, so I, I don't know what it is, but I would assume that that that's a long lineup. And then when I saw the Rangers, I was like, okay, there we go. It's, you know, one through nine, there's a quality of bat, you know, like, and, and the way I consider a quality of bat is a walk. Somebody that'll take a walk. Uh, it's not going to just swing at a first pitch has the ability to pop you for a homer. And then uh, when they're taking a bat against you, it's like, it's not an easy out. It's not an easy out. Yeah. And uh, they hit the ball hard. So if you have quality of bats, like, like good hitters in a good, like, for example, like Freddie Freeman, if he takes four at bats, three of his at bats are going to be quality. That's, mm-hmm. that's like a really high level. Um, and so if you have a, a whole lineup where you're getting two to three quality at bats from every single player in the, in that lineup, night in, night out, that's what I consider a long lineup. And now I, I see that with Texas. Uh, I see that with, again, I, I see it with, with the Dodgers starting to see it with Arizona uh, I see it with Texas. I see it with Baltimore. Um, those are those are the ones Atlanta. Um, those are the ones that are like the longest ones right now in baseball. Yeah, and I think some of the names you mentioned there, Ezekiel Duran has really emerged. He went on the IL for a little while. They're going to kind of move him around. He just came off uh, the IL, which has been incredible to see. It's kind of that depth, though. Like Robbie Grossman has been um, pretty good for them. I think people already knew about Nathaniel Owen winning a silver slugger. Uh, last year, but Leody Tavares emerging the way that he has. Josh Young, I mean, I'll be very honest with you. When I saw him last year, you could see the talent. We've been waiting a while in Texas to see him. And it's like, well, the strikeouts are a little bit high and, you know, maybe a little bit more toward the bottom of the order and he'll, you know, hit a few home runs here and there. He's been incredible, man. I mean, that's the thing that has really stuck out. 862 OPS for him. He's hitting nearly 300. Like we're doing the rookie comparisons, but you can just go ahead and do some big league comparisons um, for him, especially among third baseman in the big league. So that's where the length has come from is maybe not that that's their surprises, but to the level in which they are uh, performing right now has been wild. I mean, you have Marcus Simeon with a bunch of RBIs, 47 of them from the leadoff spot, right? So that speaks to what's going on at the bottom of the order. I think the one thing that's very likely unsustainable because it's been so ridiculous is what they've done with runners in scoring position. Jonah Heim is hitting 5'11" with runners in scoring position. Marcus Simeon is hitting 456 with runners in scoring position. Corey Seager is hitting 464 with runners in scoring position. And there's a lot of runners that have been 
in scoring position. Adolis Garcia at 365. You go up and down the line. Travis Jankowski's been a nice piece in the 21 starts that he has had uh, so far. He's hitting 370 with runners in scoring position. That's probably not going to last, um, not at that level, but it's been wild to see uh, two months into the season. So that's one thing there. By the way, did you see Jankowski catch, by the way, yesterday? All the things that were going on. Oh, my goodness. He went up over the wall, stole a home run. Um, it was pretty incredible. And he was filling in for Leody Tavares. And, you know, depth is what has been so big here. Tavares is the everyday center fielder. They give him a day after he had a little bit of a knee collision with uh, J.P. Crawford. And he goes out and he makes one amazing catch and another really good one um, out in center field. So that's the other thing they got going right now is depth. But I, I don't want to certainly don't want to rain on the parade. Uh, but the idea of runners in scoring position and what some of these guys are doing, the active players right now uh, hitting about 339, I believe that number is, um, that's wild. I mean, CJ, there's 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 parts about good teams, and you get, you get it, where backup players and certain players that, you know, you weren't expecting, you, you hear this all the time for a winning season, you have, you know, your superstars play to their to their level, and then you have some surprises. Then you have some like, whoa, like wasn't expecting that. Uh, and then beyond beyond the surprises, you get bench play. You get players that are coming off of coming up from the minor leagues that are impacting, um, you know, whether it's in the bullpen, whether it's starting rotation, like, like for example, Dane Dunning sliding in and pitching as mm -hmm. well as he has. Rangers are are have all those makings of a really good story, a very special season. In 2023, just hearing all the different parts of, of what we're talking about, how people are starting to surprise. And there was a, a bullpen surprise, and the bullpen has been a little bit light. They've been better lately, but there's been some ups and downs there, and that's kind of the one area of concern. And they called up a kid, Grant Anderson, who made his debut against the Detroit Tigers, and he punched out seven of the nine hitters that he faced. And it's not overpowering stuff. It's a funky arm angle. He knows how to use it. Uh, really well he went immediately from making his big league debut which was in a tough spot this is one thing I've noticed in watching Bruce Bochy like you know listen he thinks championship caliber level team all the time there's no soft landings there's no easing guys in he brings a guy in to make his big league debut with the tying run on second base coming out of the bullpen that was, was crazy was and he struck and out then, everybody and he struck out seven of the nine guys that he faced I, it was funny because I looked I was doing that game with Dave Valen I said well you know it's a pretty big emotional moment young kid do you think that's it? Like, just get the one strikeout inning ended, it'll be over. Well, he went back out for the next inning, punched out the side, went back out for another inning, struck out a couple of more, went back out again uh, to start another inning, and then they finally uh, got him out of there after he faced nine hitters. But it was pretty incredible uh, to see. But that is certainly one thing where we keep an eye on with uh, the Texas Rangers and that bullpen. There's been some ups, as I mentioned, been some downs. have been better lately, um, probably an acquisition at some point uh, coming their way. But everything going pretty well right now, and it's tough to, to really – uh, get some space against the Houston Astros because they have been playing uh, really well. They end, end up losing yesterday. We're taping here on Monday morning uh, to the Angels. So that lead right now in the American League West is uh, three and a half. But the Astros, uh, 35 and 24, the Texas Rangers at 38 and 20. But let's get into a series that was a fun one that we anticipated going into uh, this past weekend. And that was the New York Yankees visiting the Los Angeles Dodgers, right? This is the nice part about the new version of what we're doing with the balanced schedule is you're going to get this every year, whether it's going to be in LA or in New York. I think that's really good 
for the game as opposed to doing it once every three years. And that's a nice exchange for, you know, giving up Yankees Red Sox or Yankees Rays and some of the uh, lesser interdivisional games um, that now have gone down because, of course, that has been the trade-off. Uh, more games outside of your division, more games against uh, the other leagues because you're playing everybody uh, every single year. So I love it. Good series. Uh, fun one, no doubt, for Yankee fans because after dropping the first one 8-4, to four, uh, they took the last two. Uh, finals of six to three and then four to one. That game was on Sunday night baseball, uh, but some good games, some well-pitched games, Anthony Volpe with another home. I know there's a lot of strikeouts there and there's been um, some struggles, but overall watching these two teams uh, match up, it was a fun one also yesterday because we're really seeing the emergence of Bobby Miller. He did not get a decision in this one, but he looks like the real deal and pretty confident punching out seven Yankees, giving up just one hit in six innings for him. No runs. Uh, it was a good battle between him and Domingo Herman, but the Yankees come out on top. But bigger picture, this was a fun series, a lot of fun things going on uh, within it, and I'm glad the schedule is set up the way that it is. Oh, man. I mean, watching Mookie, <laughs> multi-homers, Kershaw pitching the way he did. Uh, Saturday's game was was highlighted by Aaron Judge, who hit a home run. And, you know, we, 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 got, a, we got a text message from John Morosi, uh, mm. and we've been, you know, we – We've been high on on Luis Arise and Arise's story this season is amazing. I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But you know, Morosi loves baseball like we do, and I think there's we've had these problems. Uh, like the general general casual baseball fans tend to take things for granted. You know, whether it's how unique Shohei Otani is, uh, the fact that Aaron Judge is putting up numbers offensively that are similar to a year ago when he hit 62 home runs. I mean, like he's, he's, he's playing on a different planet right now. Mm -hmm. And then to watch the defense that he plays, I mean, he plays center field, um, that catch in right field that he made at Dodger stadium, which is not an easy place to play right field. It's, it's the only symmetrical uh, outfield in major league baseball. So left field, center field, right field, it's all exactly the same. It actually has a little bit of a ramp around it. So it makes it, uh, kind of difficult the fences are are short the crowd is really loud it's really hard uh, to hear when you're running after a baseball towards the lines and then you you have a weird bullpen fence it's Mm -hmm. just it's there's a lot of there's a lot of sounds that you're that you're having to contend with as an outfielder and so this play that judge made which is ranging over his his, he had to drop step glove side, six foot eight frame, JD Martinez. The ball is hit really well. It's going to have a little tail and he makes this jump catch into the fence, blast the, the bullpen fence open. Like th- that's a 10 out of 10 CJ. That's a 10 yeah. out of 10 play. That's a 10 out of 10 catch. It was pretty a, amazing by a guy that's hitting the baseball as well as anybody we've seen in the history of the game. It's a 10 out of 10 catch. It's a 10 out of 10 play from a dude that's hit 62 home runs is the reigning MVP and is doing the same thing over. Uh, very amazing. All of it. I'm with you on that one. And making sure he was okay too, right? I mean, that was the other part. You have a little bit of a scare there and wondering uh, if he was hurt and if anything, it looked like the door uh, took the bigger brunt of what was happening on that play. But you're right. It is a, a 10 out of 10 play from a great player and uh, continued kind of to watch. Now, he ended up taking last night's game off, right? He did not play uh, in the game on Sunday. They talked about whether or not he was going to. Aaron Boone had kind of uh, addressed it, but they thought probably a good idea maybe to give him 
um, a breather yesterday. And, and I think it's an encouraging sign for the Yankees because remember when he was on the IL, when both he and Stan, but especially when um, Judge was on the IL, that lineup did not look uh, like one that was scaring anybody, right? They were having some real issues, especially when Stanton, both of them were not there, but obviously we know Judge is that key piece. And so the fact that they gave him the day and he st- and they still go out and win, it was t- listen, there wasn't a lot of offense in the game and no doubt that his bat was probably missed early on. It was 0-0 after six innings and we saw the Yankees score runs in each of the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. Uh, we saw the Dodgers scoring one in the seventh and that's how we got to that four to one final. But I-, I think that's kind of a boost for them, maybe important, the fact that they can uh, beat a good team, even though Bobby Miller shut them down uh, for six innings. They eventually got to the bullpen. Part of that was Gratterall trying to make a ridiculous play. Did you see the, the play he tried to make on the bunt where he spun? And listen, I get it. I've been in that spot um, where you think you're more of an athlete than you really are. Uh, but he fielded a bunt and um, had absolutely no business trying to make a throw. And the throw was, I don't know, 15, 20 feet left of first base and just kind of started some craziness. We saw, we saw some bad defense uh, from some pitchers uh, over the past couple of days. We saw some bad defense in the Boston Red Sox series, yikes, uh, and some things that they were doing as well. But that kind of opened things up and got the scoring uh, started. So, yeah, why it wasn't a big offensive day necessarily uh, for the Yankees. I mentioned Volpe hitting his ninth homer. Uh, the fact that they can beat a good pitcher, I know he's young, but he's a good pitcher and a good team without uh, having Judge in the lineup, obviously not something you're going to be able to do very often, but I thought that was kind of a big one for them. Otherwise, they end up losing that series, but instead they take two or three with no Judge in game three. Yeah, I think the the point with Volpe, uh, that's one thing that I wanted to ask you. Um, yeah. He's hitting some pretty big homers. The defense still is is doing really well. Um, you know, the fact that he's finally gotten a chance to get back down to the bottom of the lineup with uh, LeMahieu being back and Glaber um, hitting at the top. Like, I think I'm really happy with the play of Anthony Volpe. Like, I'm, I think I'm really happy with, with the play that I've seen. I mean, um, he's spinning around fastballs. Definitely, that's, that's I mean, he's a middle in fastball. He can handle mm-hmm. that. Uh, spin, he's not doing so great on. I, give me a sense, like if you yeah. Yankee fans are, are Yankee fans happy with Anthony Volpe? Like I can't well, imagine them them not. So he's kind of their son, right? Because he is their guy. He's a local kid from New Jersey. Played high school baseball with Jack Leiter, and I think they love all of that. Now their expectations might have been a little bit too high. You want everything, and you're not getting everything right now, right? But you are getting, as you mentioned, the good defense, the good power. Uh, those things matter. So there's some production there, and he's in the right spot. Right. And it's a threat when you know that he can have you got that kind of pop at the very bottom of your order. And he's got to be there because he's hitting 193 and he's not getting on base a ton and he's striking out a lot um, is the other problem. Are they are they happy? They'll be happy if this team wins a division and if he, he can hit 200 and that's fine. Um, but if they don't or they get bounced early in the playoffs or he punches out uh, in big spots in the postseason, of course, uh, you'll end up hearing about it. But second right now in the American League with his 72 strikeouts. What's wild about the American League strikeout leaders for hitters is four of the five are Seattle Mariners. Teoscar really? Hernandez has 81 punchouts, and then it's Eugenio Suarez, Jared Kelnick, and Julio Rodriguez. I, the, the Mariners, I just saw them. They got swept by the Rangers, um, have some issues. But big picture answer to your question, yeah, I think um, yeah, I think they're okay with it. Of course, they want more. But I think I'm not ready to make a move. I had wondered a month or so ago, do they need to make a move? I think the answer is no. You continue to let him uh, play it out and see if you get a little bit more contact. But, yeah, how about that part of it? Four of the five 
American League leaders in strikeouts are in the Seattle Mariners lineup, which explains a lot. Looked like they were starting to kind of get it going a little bit, right? We brought it up in the last podcast, like the Mariners are coming. Are we worried about the Pirates going? Well, what's happened? The Mariners have played some bad baseball, and the Pirates have won five in a row. So that that podcast must have really ticked them off. But <laughs> oh yeah, um, <laughs> oh yeah, we got them going. <laughs> but bullet, uh, what do you put it up on the uh, bulletin, bulletin board. board? Yeah, but what do you think? About, I don't. Know, I, I I just got to see them, and I'll tell you right now, the Mariners uh, some real concerns. Not just the losses and the swings and misses that we've seen in that lineup, but they got beat up pretty bad um, by the Rangers. They still have really good pitching. The bullpen is is. Good enough. It doesn't have Munoz, doesn't have uh, Penn Murphy right now. So those are two big pieces that they are missing. But I still like uh, their bullpen. Uh, and they got great starting pitching. But back-to-back bad starts for Bryce Miller. Uh, you know, he had that rough one against the Yankees where he gave up eight. And then he gave up, I believe, seven of those runs were his yesterday uh, against the Rangers. And you got all this swing and miss. And that magic that we saw last year in Seattle, not feeling so much the same so far this year. Well, you've said this, and, and it's why I've been – you told me this – multiple times that you think the Seattle Mariners have one of the best pitching staffs in baseball. Mm. And as long as that is true, as long as that part, and I look, I expect Bryce Miller to have a couple hiccups. He's not going to be perfect through throughout the course of a season. Um, I think he's going to probably what make about 22 to 25 starts You're, you're not going to be fantastic in every single one of those. Um, the offense concerns me four out of five of the top strikeout guys in baseball. That's really bad, especially if you're not getting yeah. um, American league, American league, American league yeah. especially if you're not getting the Homer production from those guys. If, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're near the top of eight, if you're Kyle Schwarber, where you're still, I, I still have a tough time saying Kyle Schwarber is a good hitter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I I've had this, this ongoing battle mentally with that type of hitter. Um, where if you swing and miss a ton, you do pop home runs and you have a high walk rate. Like, does that make you a good hair? If you're really good at the three true outcomes. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Seattle with those, with those players, they're not Schwarber. They don't hit, they don't walk. Uh, like Teoscar Hernandez's uh, walk rate is, is like 4%, right? He's, yeah. he's well below league average. Uh, they don't walks. give him any fastballs. They flip them, breaking balls all day long. And he has a real issue with them. He's been he's been a disappointment. I like that acquisition um, when they acquired him. I thought that was a good acquisition, um, and that has not worked out. And they've had to drop him in the order. And then, of course, we saw Julio get off to a slow start. Rodriguez he went to third, um, with, and then Jared Kelnick was swinging a really good bat. He has slowed down a little bit here lately. Started to see some of those those stress levels for him, where he's expanding the zone and not just to one part either. Saw him chasing down, saw him chasing up. Um, so they've had some issues pitching wise, both the bullpen. And the starting rotation right at 10th in, in ERA in the game, like really respectable numbers. Something else that came up Brian Wu made his big league debut for them uh, in the rotation, had a rough one on Saturday against the Rangers. And if you notice and you look at the trend, they are not afraid to call their guys up from double A. And Bryce Miller came straight from double A. Brian Wu came straight from double A. George Kirby, I think, had like one triple A start last year. And there seems to be a philosophy in Seattle. And it's not so much, you know, listen, guys are ready. They're ready if you feel like it's time to, to give a guy an opportunity. But we know the PCL, you know, I've talked about it a bunch. It is an absolute disaster for pitchers. And Tacoma's not nearly as bad as some of the other ballparks where the Mariners AAA plays their home games. And it seems like, in conversations I've had, that the Mariners are trying to avoid exposing their young pitchers to the PCL if they can. Which I'm like, well, I mean, I, I, I get it to some degree. 
because you know it makes it very difficult also to evaluate, right? Try to evaluate both sides, both the pitchers and hitters. It's a challenge when you're looking at that Pacific Coast League. And I, I don't know though, but so I, I get that part to some degree. Like, hey, we don't want these guys thinking differently. This is, you know, harder to pitch here. Every little ball near seems to get out of the ballpark. And so they become tentative or they're trying to live on the corners. And so we're bringing our, most of our guys through double A and calling them up from there. But then they're not seeing the level of hitters that you want them to see either. Right. For me, I, I double A is a good first test, but I do think triple A has some necessity to it for pitchers. What do you think about kind of what we're seeing here with the Mariners? Like it worked out well, at least the first six or so starts for Bryce Miller, Brian Wu, it's only one start, nothing to worry about. Uh, but bringing guys straight from double A to the big leagues because you don't love the environment in triple A. Uh, so I'm, I'm a big proponent in how the environment can shape a career. Um, as far as evaluation goes, I'm with Seattle. Uh, I think the PCL is really difficult to evaluate pitchers. I'll give you an example. Uh, I'll have to double check and see where the, where Albuquerque isotopes, um, pitching staff numbers are at this so their point. Their team year is like a seven and a half. Okay. Seven I looked at it not that long ago. Yeah. All right. So I'll, I'll use them as an example because this is something that I've I've been begging the Rockies to consider. Why are you trying to give a starting pitcher three turns in Albuquerque, right? Three right. times through the lineup, we're trying to develop a starting pitcher in Albuquerque. You're just not. It's impossible to, it's impossible to pitch there without a clean and have a clean sheet. Mm-hmm. You're going to get scored upon in Albuquerque. Some fly balls are outs, are homers there. You walk somebody, you give up a fly ball out, it's a two-run shot. That goes on your ERA. That, mm-hmm. that basically says, hey, you're not, you're not pitching well. You gave up a homer. No, you, you didn't give up a homer. You gave up a fly ball out. It just happened to be a homer here. They moved the fences in at center field uh, this, this last year. They used to have very similar to Houston with the Tall's Hill. They mm-hmm. got rid of that because guys kept getting hurt. So it's even playing more. Uh, offensive than it's ever had. So my point is, if if I'm developing a starting pitcher, I do not want him to pitch in Albuquerque. It's mm-hmm. going to inflate whatever, and it's not true. It's not real. It's so. If I was going to have pitchers pitch in Albuquerque, one of the things that I was saying is, here's an advantage for the Rockies, or here's an advantage for teams. Use your bullpen, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying use your bullpen because you don't care about the bullpen arms. But an opener, a bullpen game where hitters aren't seeing a pitcher three times through in that hitter's environment benefits the pitchers versus the hitters. You flip it on Mm -hmm. its head. It's why bullpen games have worked. It's really hard to do. So if you were to design a triple-A team for Albuquerque, let's say the Rockies, or if you're any like Seattle goes and plays in Albuquerque, I don't want my starters to go. If I am going to have a starter or I'm going to use my, my middle relief guys, my, my, you know, one time through the lineup, get, let me, let me throw CJ in there. I'm going to say, Hey CJ, I want you to try, you know, working on your cut fastball into righties today. You know, I think that's going to be a really good pitch for you at the big league level. Let's see it. Um, And if you happen to be for the, let's say you play for the Rockies, what better, what better ground to learn on how your stuff moves than pitch at altitude Mm-hmm. And see how your relievers work like that. That's ideal. So I that's the way I look at, at certain fields in the PCL. Reno's another one. I don't know how the heck you develop a starting pitcher in Reno. So, yeah, yeah. You, you let him go and pitch. Let let your starters pitch in double A double A talent's still really good. Um, the the environments are way more neutral. So an out should be an out. 
Mm-hmm. And like the PCL, there's parts where it's just like that doesn't count. So why would I why would I want to ding your confidence? I'm with you on that one. There's some that makes some sense. And perhaps that's part of it as well for um, the Mariners. It seems like that is one of the situations for them. By the way, I don't want to over exaggerate. 7.19 ERA right now is the team ERA for uh, the Albuquerque isotopes. I mean, it's it's wild, man. There's 10 teams in the PCL. Only one of them has an ERA, team ERA, under five. Uh, and that is the Oklahoma City Dodgers uh, with their 4.2 ERA. Something else that came up in conversation, um, which I wanted to get your opinion on, and it's kind of along the same lines. In AAA, they're using ABS, right? They're using that automated ball strike system. And what we are seeing is walk rates are way higher. Now, that probably should not be surprising because what's going to happen with automated strikes is that the corners are not going to get called. And if you watch a major league game, yeah, there's some umpires that are tight. But I would say more often than not, Strikes that look like they're outside of the strike zone that are getting called strikes, but are probably actual balls are going to be east to west, right? Either inside or outside off the plate more often than not, I feel like is the call that you see get sometimes down, sometimes up. But if you're looking at the bulk of missed calls, it feels to me more often than not, they're going to be off the plate. Well, it's not going to happen with an ABS system. And so now we're seeing about a 2% increase there in walk rate. That is significant. And now I'm also wondering, what does that do? to these pitchers. And I'm not here to just, you know, like we're crying poor for these pitchers right now um, in the minor leagues, but that is a real problem. And it probably presents a bigger issue potentially in the big leagues. I'm such, we've talked about this, you and I now for, we're probably three or four years deep on it. And I am, have been a proponent and continue to be a proponent of the challenge system and making that work and making things happen quickly in big spots. But there's a lot going on here with this system, which I think, you know, ultimately, yeah, we hate seeing missed calls, but the ancillary uh, you know, thing that's going to happen there, and I was going to say benefit, but it's not a benefit. It's a benefit to hitters, is that there's going to be more walks, and we're seeing it. The, the evidence is there right now in the minor leagues, and more and more guys are realizing, man, I'm not getting that corner call, so now I'm walking more guys, and i got to be over the plate more. And that's going to lead to more damage as well. And I, I don't know if it's necessarily getting us the results or the end results that we really wanted. Well, Ty Block told me, uh, he could not stand the ABS challenge system. Oh, and really? Didn't like the challenge? He said, here's why. Because the challenge system that they were using, and this was last year, so he was mm-hmm. telling me about it. And I go, hey, Ty, what would you think of uh, the ABS system? He's like, nope. I was like, what? And he goes, yeah. It was like, it's because if you challenge and you get it right, you keep your challenge. Yes. So he said he was part of a game where there was like 60 challenges. And wow. the game and the game took forever. Okay. And, but guys kept getting them right and they kept getting more challenges. So they oh, like wow. any any borderline pitch challenge pop up on the screen, correct, ball turns into strike, strike turns into mm-hmm. he said you, you just have to have it. So it's it's a it's a finite amount of challenges. So you yeah. either have five for each team, that's it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's three for each team. He he liked the lower number. Yeah. So so he wanted it to be like three challenges that's it and like if you want to use in the first thing go ahead you want to use all three in the first thing done mm-hmm. <laughs> then you don't have to worry about it uh, but to challenge and then get to keep it because he was like a lot of these guys uh like it like some of these umpires aren't great but or the bottom of the strike zone gets called away more than you think yeah so somebody's spiking curveballs and you're like that's not a ball that's a strike challenge strike what so <laughs> just get rid of the infinite amount of challenges if you win it and Mm -hmm. then it it would improve a lot 
Yeah. I, I, I would agree with that. I don't know what the number is, maybe five, because the other part of that too is that it is not the managers that are making the call. I actually don't mind the idea of you had somebody assigned to doing that and they're watching it all the time and they tell the manager to challenge, but that probably would get tedious too. If you leave it in the hand, I would not let the pitchers do it. Under no circumstances would I let the pitchers do it. You're too emotional uh, in those spots. It has uh, to be the catcher. Catcher and the hitter. That's it. Right? And there were some big at-bats the last game the Rangers played in Detroit. You know, counts, you know this. You're in a 2-1 count and an umpire misses a call and now it's 2-2 instead of 3-1. Like, it's brutal. I mean, that changes everything dramatically. We know the numbers are there. So that's part of the issue. But anyway, those are some of the things going on. We keep an eye on that. But I do believe that there are some advancements coming, or at least we're moving closer and closer uh, to Rob Manfred wanting that in for next year. I would not be surprised if there's a push this winter. And there are some things that I think we have to be aware of. And seeing that walk rate go up a little bit is one of them. Um, and I, I wonder what that's done uh, to pitchers knowing that, man, I'm not getting that corner anymore. This has got to be on the plate more. And then, you know, what does that lead to? Is it leading to more offense? Certainly we're seeing in the PCL, but it's always like that there. Um, but this is for the guys at AAA and where that is happening um, right now. All right, so let's continue here, uh, switch gears a little bit. And just when I thought that you were going to have to eat some crow, Billy, on the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, looks like that's not actually going to be um, the case as they continue to struggle. I thought maybe they were coming out of it a little bit. thought maybe they were going to be turning um, the corner, and it seems like now for the St. Louis Cardinals, just kind of finding ways to lose. They're going to start a three-game series tonight with the Texas Rangers in Texas. I'm not calling that series, but I'll certainly be watching it closely. Ten games under uh, right now at 25 and 35. They're back to being a last-place team. Um, you were ahead of the curve on this, Billy, and I think uh, I think you're in a pretty good spot right now. I was somewhat concerned uh, that I was not going to be able to pull this thing. Oh, they were they were going to we were going to be able to see you get a little bit nervous. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen either. Um, it's just pitching. Pitching is not starting. Pitching is not getting enough swing and miss. And we, you know, they're twenty seventh. Oh my God, they're twenty seventh in walks, hits, per innings pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, they're giving up more hits than than virtually any staff. They're not striking anybody out. Offensively, they're they're okay. Like they they you know, as the summer heats up, they'll score more runs. Uh, they're they're top five in home runs. Defensively, they've improved. So they have parts where you're like, okay, that's, but they just get they're They're constantly trying to play from behind. So the only way that they've been able to win is, is outscoring you. And they can't like, you know, this, you can't outscore teams every single night. That's not a, mm-hmm. that's not a recipe to win. You have to pitch first and play defense and then score. And if you're consistently pitching, I mean, why do you think the pirates are 31 and 27? Whose offense would you rather have, the Pirates or the Cardinals? Oh man, isn't that crazy? That's a great question, and it should the answer should not be the one that it is because so many guys are underperforming. But I never thought I would say that. But yeah, you make a you make a really good point. Now, I mean, the St. Louis Cardinals have scored more runs than the Pittsburgh Pirates, but I mean, but they've given up more. So. Um, I, I feel like I should. I want to. I still want to say the St. Louis Cardinals offense, but it's not a winning offense. <laughs> it's not a winning offense. I would take the Cardinals offense too with the Pirates pitching staff, and then I'd have a first place team. Yeah. Um. I mean the the pitching of of Keller and uh, Keller and and Rich Hill and uh, certain guy like other guys Ortiz who has a big arm. Um. Like the Pirates just have swing and miss. There's no swing and miss. Jack Flaherty doesn't look anything like he's ever 
been, you know, like Miles Michaelis has pitched okay of late. Montgomery, did you see this the quote Montgomery had the other day? I did not. He said, uh, listen, we're we're not losers. It's like, dang. Mm. Oof. Um, that's that's I'm not calling him a loser, but yeah. saying that you're not a loser from a from an organization is saying like, hey, we are losing and we're like that's not a good quote when things no. are going bad. Well, because obviously you're feeling that, right? Yes. I mean, you feel like it's almost like if, if somebody doesn't ask you that and you and you offer that, then what you're saying is you're feeling that or yep. you're feeling that people are feeling that way about you and you have to defend that. Um, but they have. They have been losing. It's, I never like that word. I feel like it's such a it's a harsh word um, to use. But anyway, um, that is that to me is more indicative maybe of um you know, the feeling in that clubhouse and maybe, you know, sometimes you answer criticism that wasn't, you know, you saw it somewhere else, right? Not someone, not so much that somebody said it to you directly, um, but you see it. And that's probably what the value of staying offline, uh, especially when you're having a, a rough season. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a tough one for sure. But they are, they're, listen, they're struggling. We'll see what kind of moves, if any, they have to feel like they have to make. Are there going to be uh, subtractors come deadline time and a lot of talk about, kind of leadership there as well. And the big changes, remember they lost a couple of coaches last year. And I'll still wonder a little bit about uh, that part of it for the St. Louis Cardinals, but not getting any better um, there. One good story uh, here recently now that uh, Royce Lewis is back with the Minnesota Twins. I don't know if you saw the play last night uh, or yesterday, I should say, really scary moment on a ball, a ground ball that he hit and the first baseman ended up kind of going into uh, the line. And all of a sudden we saw Royce Lewis go up over uh, the first baseman of the Cleveland Guardians, and it wasn't who was playing first yesterday. It was um, was it Arius? I think it was uh, Arius. Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't play a ton of first? No. So I was curious for you on the way that he received that ball in the line. Right, he ended up he turned it into a long hop by taking it on the back side of the bag in foul territory, as opposed to and I, again didn't play a ton of first and probably not a smart play, especially when you know it's going to be a close play. You're just asking for a collision. Um, it happens sometimes maybe when a guy's out by a lot, you might see a first baseman in foul territory receiving a throw. You go out there, you're going to have maybe that shorter, tougher pick. And so we tried to make the pick easier, turn it into a high hop. Uh, but what a scary moment it was seeing Royce Lewis go up over Arias uh, and nearly, um, man, it wasn't fun to watch in slow motion, uh, but it looks like he's going to be okay. Yeah, it, it scary. It also begs the question, do you want to see, uh, you know, that, that foul territory part of the base path? Uh, or, or the base, just like what we have in softball and some little league games. Um, I think I'd be okay with that. And uh, like, here's one of the, here's one of the things I've, I've considered. You tell me, so if you do, if you do the bag and this is a bigger bag, mm -hmm. uh, first base is, is scary. I mean, I've seen a lot of guys get injured there. So first base is already, we know the bags are bigger this season. If you were to do a orange cutout, Mm -hmm. but is flat on the ground. Yeah. So like the, like the runner can run flat through the mm -hmm. base. So if they're diet, like they don't have to jump and touch the bag. You have to touch the bag. If you're going extra bases Yeah. or you can hit the orange on the side, mm -hmm. would you be okay with that? <laughs> cause, cause then it forces you to run where you're supposed to be in yeah. foul territory. So many guys run in fair territory. They're like, what do we, what? Like, why did I, why'd you call me out? Yep. You're in fair territory, dude. There's a 45 foot, box you're supposed to be your body in there and even if your foot is on the line you're still in fair territory 
Mm-hmm. So you can't like, even if your left foot is on that line, you're like, but I'm in the box. No, you're still in fair territory. You're out. If the ball hits you. Yeah. So we've talked about this one a lot. I also think this is on the docket for major league baseball. I think they're going to address it. If not this year, I think going into next year, right. They have much more power than they ever have when it comes to rule changes. And that's why we have all the new rules that we have this year. And the major league baseball players association really can't stop them. Uh, and put things on pause the way that they used to be able to. I've, I'm still in favor of a half a base, which is now nine inches, right? Because the bases are 18 inches extended into foul territory. And the only thing about it, as we sit here and you and I are kind of working through it, the only other thing is we watched that play yesterday and think about those, you know, potentially there. I don't know if there would have to be some kind of line or a completely different color, probably easier. Although I don't, you know, the orange thing is like a softball deal, right? So I don't love that part. Um, but it is what it is. I think what's best for the players and the safety part of this thing. Um, so perhaps you do it, say, let's call it nine inches and you do it orange. You just extend the base. So the base looks yeah. huge, but it's different colors. But the first baseman's not allowed to touch the orange. That's right. He can't use it as part of first base for him. And, he, you know, and if it, it does it all, then perhaps and he should listen. His foot shouldn't be on top of the bag anyway. Um, but I think that would I think that would help. There was another play. I believe it was in Angel, the Angels game. Martin Maldonado hit a ground ball and it was a routine ground ball and the throw was on the money and nothing bad happened, but there was contact at first base and Maldonado and the first baseman. I don't think the second baseman was covering blues, the first baseman. And they just, there was, you know, a little bit of a shoulder bump and the, you know, the, the first baseman was like a little bit apologetic. And so was Martin Maldonado. He's a big dude. And I don't think there was any intent there, but he crossed the back kind of in the middle of the bag, which, and that shouldn't have happened either. And that nope. caused the contact. Um, it wasn't bad. Nothing bad happened. Same thing with Royce Lewis. It looked ugly. He ended up being fine, but I do think that probably something to force the, the, um, runners to that side. And like, and even if you have, who knows, I mean, it sounds ridiculous. Maybe you have to go full size base or another 15 inches. And like you said, if you're running through the bag, then you have to hit the foul part of the bag. If you're taking a turn, then you can hit any part of the bag. That's right. And so maybe it's that they can't even be in the same spot, but yeah, there was a couple incidents yesterday. I think it's coming. I think it's just a matter of time. Yep, I, I do too. Yeah. All right, Spilly. Well, listen, man, uh, good stuff as always. Uh, enjoyed it. I got the week off. I know you'll be working. You and I will have radio together, MLB Network Radio. We are now 2 to 5 uh, Eastern time, by the way, loud outs all week long. So Spilly and I will be uh, together on Tuesday and I think on Wednesday too. We got a couple of shows this week Let's together. Go. Of course, Brad Lidge and Franny's filling in and we're all over the place as we always are. But uh, love you guys listening to the Loud Outs podcast. Serious XM Podcasts.